0: Oh, 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 oh! oh, oh, oh. Prose tinted glasses. Hi, I'm Bailey, and I'm Katie. Welcome to Prose Tinted Glasses. Today we are going to talk about Legendborn by Tracy Dion.
1: Again. <laughs> hey, technical um, difficulties. Yeah, Bailey and I just had a whole conversation about this, and uh, we had a, a technical issue, and it didn't record, and so now we're starting over, which is fine, because I would love to talk about Legendborn for way more time, so this works out well. Yes. Um, We want to take a moment before we really dive into it, just to recognize juneteenth which is happening this weekend if you're not familiar with juneteenth it is the day where the news of the emancipation proclamation finally reached parts of the south specifically i think texas and so it's sort of bay on june 19th 1865 so it's sort of the like effective date of the slaves being freed in a large portion of the south and it's sort of where we recognize that day. So I encourage everybody to support Black Owned Businesses this weekend. I mean and all the time, but especially just in recognition in recognition of Juneteenth. We're gonna drop some links in the description for resources where you can find good places to I know shop at. I know personally I
0: did not learn a lot about Juneteenth until recent years. So there will also be some links with some information on learning more about Juneteenth.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, if you have the resources to donate, we'll we'll put some links there too. The NAACP is always a safe bet or the Southern Poverty Law Center is a great one. Um, but just use y- your resources and your voice to support and celebrate your Black friends and Black community members for Juneteenth.
0: Yes. The next top of the episode thing to get out of the way is the uh, spoiler warning. This is not a spoiler-free podcast. We will be jumping into some heavy spoilers right off the jump. If you have not read this, uh, here's your chance to go read 500 pages of awesome young adult fantasy. Uh, You can listen without reading if you want, but, you know, spoilers. We encourage you to go read it first.
1: We've made our feelings on spoilers fairly known. You're welcome to do you, but this is a great book. We obviously recommend it if we're going to be talking about it for the next hour, and you should definitely experience it in our opinions. Yes. So with the spoiler warning out of the way, Bailey, you've read it obviously more recently than I have, but just as like a kind of a quick overview of what happens in Legendborn, um, our main character, Bree goes to UNC for an early college program and she, like, witnesses what turns out to be, like, a demon attack and two characters, Cell and Tor, taking care of the demon attack and then Cell tries to wipe her memory but it, it, like, doesn't take. And so now she's, like, determined to figure out what it is that she witnessed. This
0: sort of sets her on a whole big thing because when she realizes that she can remember what she witnessed from Selentor, she also realizes that the memory she has of her mother's death, the night of her mother's death, is not correct. So it starts this whole chain of events that leads to Bree discovering there is a secret order based on the descendants of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table Happening at u n c and she can become a part of it because she is assigned a student mentor after getting in trouble for seeing this demon fight um and she starts to join this order and realize that she may have this brand of magic that they have. Things continue to sort of devolve from there because the order is going through a time of upheaval. And she is becoming a page, which means she's going to join the order in service of one of the Scions, potentially. She's going through these trials, and it seems like everything, every time they do something, demons show up. And turns out she was selected to be a page by the heir, apparent heir, uh, Scion of Arthur, who had renounced his title at one point. So she's put in a fraught like political position within this organization, plus the organization has all this stuff going on. Um, she also then is going to a therapist um with at because her dad thinks she's struggling and turns out the therapist also practices a form of magic that is similar but different. Rootcraft. craft. She's trying to keep these two sides like from knowing about each other. Which goes to hell, obviously, because it's a book.
1: Yeah, of course. She's basically learning about the two sides of her like heritage and magic. She's coming to terms with her mom's death. Um, she's flirting with two boys, um, and all of this comes to a head in lots of fun and interesting ways.
0: Yeah, there's a big twist at the end. There's some battle scenes. She learns to use weapons. It's all around a uh, very, very fun fantasy with all those elements
1: Mm -hmm. so if you haven't read it which i suspect at least daniel has not yet finished reading it there's your primer and uh, now we're gonna just dive into talking about it
0: woohoo let me jump in and say that i absolutely loved this book it was such a great read for me it came at a perfect time where i was feeling A big slump with YA fantasy, nothing was clicking. I felt like we were hearing the same story over and over again, and I wasn't really into any of it. And along came Legendborn, and we have an Arthurian legend in a fresh setting with a great storytelling, and I'm just obsessed. When we had the idea for this podcast, this book was actually one of the first ones I told Katie that we should talk about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the first ones that Bailey recommended, and I finally read it back in March, and I am very glad. And now I'm as excited to talk about it as Bailey was when she first brought it up. So, yes, it just really—I don't think
0: that there's a lot of newer material for our Three and Legends*. I mean, obviously, there's like BBC's Merlin, <laughs> um, not Merthur, which Katie wrote on the notes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: We will circle back to it.
0: <laughs> uh, but i saw a tumblr post the other day and then also there's an author's note at the end of the no- at the end of the book talking about how a legend is sort of a loose collection of ideas and inspiration and storytelling and there's no direct canon material necessarily there's not like You know, with Harry Potter, you can write fanfic, but you're always going to come back to that canon, that core amount of detail that is what was set out for the story. Whereas with uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, there's a lot more just like thousands of years of people being fascinated by this and telling their version of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really fun that... the. Like Bailey said, there's there's no original source material. It's just people going like, "Well, I like this part of the story, so I'm going to keep it ad infinitum" until we've got this kind of loose hos- hodgepodge of of myth. It's it feels to me sort of like the way um, like vampires or like monster myths are, where like people just pick and choose the parts that they like. So like somebody like might like their vampires you know for instance sparkly Sparkly. and some might like them allergic to sunlight or allergic to garlic or they can't see see their face in a mirror or they need to be invited in but all of those are just like portions of a larger mythos and when you choose to tell a story about vampires you get to pick and choose and so when you choose to tell a story based on Arthurian legend you get to pick and choose and you also get to include a little uh, Twilight reference
0: with the uh, Spider Monkey <laughs> <laughs> joke. Um, I loved that. It's such a throwaway moment, but it's a reference to that tw- that vampire movie. And and so it's funny that you brought up vampire, skaty because Cell um, is carrying Brie at one point, like in a fireman's carry, and she's like, "I don't. If you're gonna run, I don't want you to carry me like this. It needs to be like that vampire movie." <laughs> I want to be piggyback, and I just lost it.
1: Yeah, it was
0: golden. Um, But moving back to, you know, the actual story.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree. I think that it's definitely, like, a fresh setting and, like, a fresh sort of conception for a YA fantasy. I feel like, you know, YA fantasy is chock full of Eurocentric mythology I guess and i mean you know the arthurian legend is also eurocentric but it's it's taking it in a in a direction that's not just like vaguely um like you could just plant it at a castle in europe you know what i mean maybe not yeah. i don't know what i mean when i said that i had a i had a direction
0: and then i lost it i feel like i get what you're trying to say you're trying to say that this is a little bit this is turning some of that Eurocentric stuff on its head a little bit in the way that it's told, but it's not entirely without being Eurocentric because it is King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, Mm -hmm. which is at its core, the the basis, this very little bit of quote unquote, canon information is a Eurocentric tale.
1: Mm -hmm. But again, it's, it's centered. It like takes that as the inspiration and then it very much centers it on like an, um, the American experience and in large part the black American experience, which uh, we're going to go into in more depth in a little while. I think first we would like to get all of the dumb nonsense out of the way and talk about, for instance, the Bane love triangle. <laughs> um, I, when I was getting ready to read this, I had seen enough like tidbits about it to know that I probably was going to like sell and, just because of who I am as a person. And at first, I feel like he didn't really do much for me for, like, the first half or maybe two-thirds of the book, and I was actually really into the, like, easy um, rapport that Nick and Brie had, and I thought that that was very nice. And then uh, I did eventually board the Selwyn Kane train, though, and I am very much team Sel now. How about you, Bailey? Yes. Um
0: so I might have warned you that he was portrayed as more of the bad bad boy. I mean, he does wear all black and has tattoos, has his ears gauged, which as we all know is a sign of a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Uh but surprisingly in this case I am actually I'm on team Selwyn Kane for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to root for Nick and Bree and I think that their relationship is is really well written. And I like the development of it, but also, yeah, I'm just like, mm, I'm rooting for Cell right now.
1: Yeah, I think Nick is just really easy to like. He is very much like if a Golden Retriever were a person, but not an angsty Golden Retriever. No,
0: but he's also like very heroic, so I don't know. So are Golden Retrievers. Duh. Some of them. <laughs> Some of them are just really dumb and pretty. No,
1: they're brave. They're brave dogs. Okay. What's a, what's a, no, you need to tell them that they're brave, but they're still (laughs) dumb and pretty
0: sometimes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. My parents had a dog, Spencer, and he, he he was so loyal and like he wanted you to love him so much, but he was kind of like a bumbling idiot, just always in the wrong spot at the wrong time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he wanted to be so badly. <laughs> Nick is not a Spencer Golden Retriever. <laughs>
1: um. All right. All right. I'll <laughs> concede that one. But he's very, he's very Nick likable is, is the point. Yes.
0: And I do still feel like they, you know, it's written such in such a way that it's, it's a very believable and root forable relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. It's. I was just about to reference, I know you also recently read A Deadly Education. What was the the character, the, like, main guy?
0: Oh, you know what? He could be interchangeable with Nick and I wouldn't be able to tell you.
1: That's, that's I think that, that was the, the point, point, point I was about here. to make, yeah. <laughs> Hang on, let me find out his name. Um, L and, Orion Lake.
0: Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. I. They could have been in, they're both like the heroic golden boy that has to save everybody or whatever. Which, um, although we do come to find out in the biggest spoiler twist of the book that, um, Nick, while raised to think he's the scion of Arthur the entire time, is actually the scion of Lancelot. And Bree is the scion of Arthur, um, which, is also sort of uh flipping the script on the heroic golden boy because at the end of the day Bree is the one who's able to pull excalibur from the stone and save the day
1: and i think that 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 was a twist that is my favorite type of twist where as soon as it was revealed i was like fucking duh like She's the protagonist. Obviously, she's Arthur, and it was like foreshadowed in a bunch of different ways, including but not limited to her showing up at that one event wearing red and gold, which are the Arthurian colors. But I still managed to not see it coming, the, like until like right before it happened.
0: My oblivious to subtext ass <laughs> did not notice it the second time until like almost at the very end when I was like, "Oh shit, that's right." So, I first read it in 2020, and, um, you know, then I reread it in prep for recording this episode. And <laughs> it wasn't until I was like gearing up for the end when they were going back down into the caves that I was like, oh my God, that's right. I had completely forgotten that twist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's that.
1: What kills me, though, is did you ever watch Avalon High? It's like an old Disney Channel original movie. No. It was also, I think it was also a book probably written by Meg Cabot, who was my favorite author back in the day. And um spoiler alert for Avalon High, the twist of that book was also that, that the main girl character was Arthur. Because <laughs> it was also just like an Arthurian legend thing where they were all like reincarnated or whatever. So I really should have seen this coming the first time that i read I it i should have seen it coming because i've read the damn book before <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one's that one's pretty inexcusable
0: it was such a fun thing to learn again i was like oh yeah i'm very into this
1: <laughs> the drama but my favorite thing about the twist is that back to bbc's merlin justice for murther it means ooh, ooh. that brie is merlin or Bree is Arthur, and Cell is Merlin, and so we can still ship Merther in the year of our Lord 2021.
0: And I will be taking to Tumblr for it if it happens, because the only reason I ship Merther in the first place is because of Tumblr. I have not watched BBC's Merlin. Um, I just, once again, <laughs> ship something that I saw online from being chronically online back in the day. <laughs>
1: It's fair though, the gift sets are just captivating. How can you
0: They're very charged. I can feel it.
1: Ship them. Yeah, but I was I was very excited about that revelation.
0: Yeah, with the Cell Brie Merlin Arthur thing, it will be very interesting to see where that goes and if we get anything from it, because there is always some sort of like there are a few instances where Brie is like, man, it shouldn't be, but look at Cell, like that dude's hot. Um, so we'll see where it goes.
1: Yeah, it was interesting the way that they built that relationship up too. It was definitely not the easy relationship the way that Brie and Nick started out. And honestly, I was not that into Cell for like the first half of the book because he was he was like not interestingly standoffish. He was just this like gremlin lurking in the shadows to accuse Brie of being suspicious for no reason. For like the whole first half of the book
0: don't be suspicious don't be suspicious
1: don't be suspicious don't be suspicious he was very
0: single-minded in the first half of the book about like brie clearly being uh grouchy to infiltrate the order and do this that and the other um and he wouldn't let it go even when everyone else was kind of like i don't know dude And it came to a head when he engineered the second uh, trial to make sure that he would be alone with Brie at night and could set the hellhound on her. But then, you know, things happen and turns out uh, there was no reason for him to be suspicious or what he thought he should be suspicious of. um, And it almost got them into even worse trouble.
1: Yeah, and until that turning point, it's like, like, I don't mind this the trope of him being like endlessly suspicious and refusing to let it go, but like it didn't it didn't result in like fun banter. It was like it was just not fun after a point. And then thankfully, thankfully, they had that moment and kind of turned it around and he became my entire heart. Right. Uh one
0: thing that sort of plays into some of all of this maybe maybe them being 16 well or however like much younger than i think because i had a very hard time remembering that they were 16 um maybe that's why Cell was so like suspicious and wouldn't let it go because you know how when you're younger things are much more heightened and maybe a little less rational but also it, yeah it it was just like so uninterestingly stuck on this aspect Until after that night when he suddenly realizes, like, oh, there might be something else and starts to, like, loosen up and become more of a character and not just, like, the tattooed guy that drops out at the sky to save them.
1: Yeah, for sure. We've talked about this before, most notably in our new adult versus young adult episode. But I just don't know why these characters, they feel like they've been artificially de-aged so that this can be a young adult book like she went so far as to still put them in college they're just college students but for some reason they're 16 and 17 year old college students
0: right it's absolutely insane and i i just don't buy a lot of it about them being that young and i don't think that the canon reasons for them being that young are are like strictly necessary for it to happen
1: yeah it's definitely not compelling like the whole thing about how their bodies get used up because they're being used by their lieges or whatever and so they have to start super young you know that could easily still be true and they could have to be like their expected life at like, their life expectancy is 25 years instead of 20 or 22 years or whatever it was in the book, you know? There's no reason right. for that, like, two to four years that it feels like they've been de-aged. Yeah.
0: I, and, like, I I know part of it is that with Bree's family line because of the root craft that there can only be one daughter at a time and so... You know, she loses her mother young, her mother lost her mother young, etc. But I don't I don't know that it works for them to be 16 or that it would have changed it if she was 18 and just, like, a little bit older. I mean, there's a scene where they all go to a bar and drink. Mm-hmm. It, I, did I lead some, like, super sheltered Midwest life where, like, a large group of 16 to 18-year-olds can all get fake IDs to go to Taprail to drink? Or what? Because... I kept forgetting while reading the first and the second time that when Brie goes to meet them all at the bar, she's not just like one of two or three 16 year olds going. It's like a whole group of them that are between 16 and 19. And I just don't. uh, As someone that worked at a bar, like I would be suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, it's not believable to
1: me. It was very weird. And, you know, nothing about this novel to me necessitates that they be teens other than the artificial constraints that were put on the book and the characters. Right.
0: So I, it's just, I, mm, I, we've talked about it at length. I don't think that it's great when characters are this young and it's, it's not even like, this isn't quite as bad as six of crows because I feel like there are fewer adult things that they're doing but it still just feels like it's like they're young and for what
1: yeah this is not as horrifying as like an backstory and six of crows and that being like extra horrifying because of how young they are it's just weird and it just it feels like it doesn't need to be that way right
0: we have been seeing this book come up on like tiktok a little bit I did not actually hear about this book from TikTok. I think I heard about it from like a BuzzFeed listicle or something because I am a trash millennial who still reads BuzzFeed <laughs> listicles. Um, Proudly chuggy. <laughs> that was Katie. I haven't yet accepted my chug. <laughs> oh,
1: but you should. You're just as chuggy as me. Sorry to break it to you. I
0: have like six plants in my room. I don't have an argument to make. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure that like keeping your running medals on your wall is choogy, too. So. <laughs> I haven't seen that one specifically, but I mean, since you do it and you're a millennial, it's, it's then not a stretch. Probably. Um. <laughs> anyways,
0: this has been on book talk. Legendborn has been on book talk a little bit, and uh, some people find it confusing. This world building,
1: mm-hmm. which I find confusing, because. The world building, if you have any sort of, like, basic understanding of Arthurian legend, feels quite straightforward.
0: Maybe this is because I read a lot of fantasy, some of it YA, some of it adult, Um, but learning something as you go in fantasy is not that abnormal. So, yes, a lot of titles and names get thrown at you right away. Squires, scions, pages, vassals, lieges, etc., but by at least halfway through the book, I felt like it was understandable and it was not a mystery to me anymore. Uh, and also, I so I have the hardcover of the book, which means I have a chart at the back that explains all of the bloodlines, the sigils, the colors, and the inheritances. Oh, and the weapons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if maybe that helped, but I don't remember referencing it the first time. So. I don't I just don't know. I don't find it confusing and I don't have answers as to why people think it is.
1: I listened to the audiobook and I don't even have my my hardcover copy of the book here with me to like reference, but I did not find it confusing in it in terms of the audiobook. And all those terms you were meeting you were mentioning, like vassal and lieges and pages and squires, like presumably y'all all had a a unit in world history about the middle ages. Like presumably y'all learned all those terms at one point, even completely divorced from the context of Arthurian legend. Right. So uh, I just,
0: I'm sorry. I I don't think it's that confusing. There is no big info dump at the beginning, but um, there are plenty of stories that don't have an info dump and this is set. It's, pretty much urban fantasy i mean it's set at unc we aren't learning a lot of places or new like new systems of living it's a modern world in brie text a lot her therapist texts her.
1: I guess what I would maybe consider like the most confusing about the world building is like all of the ether stuff and like the ether constructs that feels like a new magic system to a degree or at least a less familiar one but that's one of those things that I feel like you just kind of have to, to roll with until you learn all the rules. Right.
0: And that's how I feel about it too. Like I don't I didn't find it so hard or unbelievable. I felt like you could roll with it until you learned what you needed to know. Mm -hmm. So I'm not on board for it being um, a confusing story. I think that the information out there in terms of like learning the knight's names, if that's something you don't know and how they reported up to Arthur. Um, And then the rest of it is just kind of the general take it on faith got to figure it out as you go fantasy thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that I really love about this book is that it is um, an own voices book and that Tracy Dion has put a lot of what presumably parts of it are her own experience as, you know, a black woman, especially in the South. And I really like how well she sort of folded in the points that she was trying to make about race and class as like integral like plot points to this like greater fantasy world. You know, as much as this is a book about Arthurian legend and magic and a secret society, it is also a book about generational trauma and classism and structures of power um, and colonialism. And I think that it is really well done And obviously there's only so much that Bailey and I can talk about from this perspective, since we are two white ladies. Um, But it it was very powerful to realize how ingrained a lot of those structures of power are in all of these institutions as I was reading the book.
0: Right. It was, there are a lot of times where, not only is Brie grappling with uh, ancient order and bloodlines being introduced, but also simply the experience of uh, being a black woman in the South. And one of the examples is when her and Patricia are in the Arboretum after her class for the first meeting with her therapist, there is a small monument in no- in nod to acknowledgement that this place was built on the backs of slaves. Uh, But it's also, there's another scene where they learn about um, how there's a slave owner has a huge monument in the center of campus. And this one is in the back corner of the Arboretum. And so it's both this new, like, fantasy retelling, but also just a telling of all these things that maybe we don't always know or think about in American history if it's not your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I think we should all endeavor to learn more about from own voices. Bailey,
1: you mentioned at the top of the show when we brought up Juneteenth that it's something that you weren't really aware of. And I really wasn't aware of it until a few years ago. And I I didn't realize how widely it should be known until Maybe last year, even um, just because it's one of those things that we gloss over and sanitize in history classes when we're growing up. And I especially grew up in like a really sheltered area um, and a really white area, and so it's it's stuff that I just didn't have access to, at, you know, as a child. And so it's it's harder to learn. When you're getting older because you already have these like ingrained ideas about America and et cetera. And, you know, we benefit and are privileged from truly abhorrent structures of power and, and histories.
0: Right. And I think that in this book, there is something that she's saying built into the very story as well as these experiences so the the order versus rootcraft which the order is um the line of arthur this ancient secret society that's protecting the world and then rootcraft is the magic that is traditionally practiced by enslaved peoples and native peoples in america Where it's very much, we've made an offering, give and take, and then the the Root Crafters and the Blood Crafters, i.e. the Order, are at odds with the way this magic works. And it comes off as a a way of saying, this is a colonizer attitude, the way the Order is, and this is the difference between them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And I think... It will be interesting to see rootcraft explored more in more books.
1: Yeah, it's definitely interested interesting to see like at, just to expand on what Bailey was saying that the order system of magic is very hierarchical and it's very um it feels very entitled and like you know the one person who's the descendant of you know their knight or whatever are the ones with all the power and they're the ones that dictate the structure of the organization and then rootcraft feels much more in tune with like historical black culture and community and like that sense of learning from and giving back to your ancestors and it's it's just a very powerful way to to just like ingrain it in the story
0: yes and it will be interesting to see because brie has the ability for both things um the the orders bloodcraft and the rootcraft and i think it will be interesting to see how that continues to play into the story and what that's going to continue to say about growing up in america Mm -hmm. as a black person so and again we can only say so much about all of this but but there is some very clear indication of ha- of like katie was saying that it's very colonizer versus um community
1: mm-hmm. and even outside of these like heavier topics i feel like legend born does a really good job of casual representation in terms of like Cell mentions that he used to have a crush on Nick and it's just like a throwaway comment uh, about his sexuality and, you know, nobody thinks it's weird or nobody questions it. And um, Greer being non-binary, Bailey, I know you had more to say about Greer.
0: Yes. So Greer is introduced as non-binary from the start and quickly becomes a page that sort of is always there for Bree during all of this trouble And they say that people like them, Greer and Bree, disrupt the pattern, especially in the Order. Now, Greer is from a family line that has always been involved in the Order, and so they grew up around this. But they are still disrupting the pattern in a way, because in a lot of scenes with older members of the Order, people are at a loss. They don't know how to respond to Greer. But a lot of the younger people, it, it just is no thing. Greer comes in, they're there, they fight. Um, and a lot of the language for the oaths are is even changed very quickly. Um, like when they are taking the oath of secrecy to become a page, it's not. no one stumbles over trying to figure out how to address Greer in the oath, which typically had gendered language. They are able to use the correct pronouns and things like that. And it just felt very natural um compared to some of the other stuff and i know we just did it's gay and it slaps so we talk a little bit more about this but the representation in in legend born as katie said just felt very natural it was not called out which is something that we discussed last last episode we're hoping we're getting away from it having to be called out
1: yeah i agree completely
0: obviously like there are a few same-sex Couples, uh, Sarah and Tor mm-hmm. are together, but then we also know that Tor and Cell used to be together. You know what? Something I'm realizing now that we're on the second recording of this, I'm I'm not sure. I'm loving how everyone's nickname gets shortened to like three letters. Because I'm not sure. Do I say Sarah like Sarah, Sarah, Sar? Because I want to say Sar when I see it, but is it Sarah? It, it would be Sarah. This, this is a personal problem, and I get that. I'm just I'm just getting caught up, and then like <laughs> we are. When so yeah, Tor and Cell used to have a thing. Um.
1: Wait, I'm just gonna circle back to the three name thing. Why don't we start spelling Nick N I C and Bree B R I, and then everyone can have three letter names? Oh no, 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 no! Because Bree's name is B R E E. Yeah, but if you spell it with an I, it would be B R I. Or I mean, you could do B R E. Uh, I have a coworker whose name is Bree B R E.
0: Katie, I challenge you. Change the Legendborn wiki.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Have I ever told you? Okay, this is a total side tangent. Um, One time I tried changing the Vampire Diaries Diaries wiki because I had been rewatching Vampire Diaries. And I got to an episode with the character um, Trip. Hang on. His name is Trip. Sorry, this is now very important to me that you know this. Um I have never watched Vampire
0: Diaries okay. for those of you listening.
1: Well, this character's name is Trip Cook. But his like his real name is Thomas Vincent Fell the Third. Um, and Trip, as you may know, is a traditional nickname for a third shirt, right? Right. So like triple. A yeah, second yeah, might absolutely. be called Junior, and then a third is could be called Trip. And Yes. So his last name is Fell, and so his name would have been Trip Fell, and his mom was like, that's ridiculous, and so they, like, had moved away, and so she gave him her maiden name, so that's why he was known as Trip Cook. And on the Vampire's Diary wiki, I was looking this up for, like, an unrelated reason. It says, he was given the nickname Trip because he was a clumsy kid who was known for falling down a lot. Which he had mentioned that, like, Trip Fell was a bad name, especially because he was clumsy. But, s- but Trip is Trip is a
0: traditional nickname
1: for... Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so I was like, I'm going to change the wiki because that's wrong. And it still says that. I just read it out loud from the wiki. And so I changed it to so- something like Trip is a traditional nickname for a third. And because Trip Fell is a bad name, he goes by Trip Cook and i changed it and it was like fucking immediately changed back by the moderator and i changed it like a dozen times over two weeks because like at some point i got really like just stubborn about it and i was like no you're like i'm right and then eventually i did give up and so it is still incorrect um but that is my experience with trying to change a wiki it is futile, futile futile Frugal yeah not I, a word. I was gonna I was like what I do frugal food I, I, I don't know. know um anyway, don't <laughs> try and change wikis um your your work will be for nothing. is the moral of the story, yes, so we do
0: use like fandom.com, the wikis just for easy reference because it'll have a list of characters. It usually has basic information about them. Uh, bless everyone who puts all this information out here um but I have been clicking around the, the fandom.com for legend porn, and it's unhinged. I'm sorry. It's just, there's just, like, so much going on uh, that, so, I did go to check Greer's earlier. Mm-hmm. And what really stood out to me is that there is no information except for the biographical information. And uh, their status is alive and their species is human. That is it.
1: Mm -hmm. And just for transparency, we did click around in the wiki for like 10 minutes the first time we tried to record this. So we're just going to hit you with um, some of our favorite hits because it did get really unhinged. Uh, My favorite is on Nick's page where Nick is a main character. All it has is his physical description and it only gives you tall white boy, tousled strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. That's all you get.
0: Yes. Um, However, if you go to Selwyn Kane's page, it's multiple paragraphs about, like, his relationship with his mother, his relationship with other characters. You get things such as his um, affiliation, his date of birth, his species is Merlin, um, his gender is male, his height is tall, and his weight is 128, (laughs) which is really strangely specific for something that is not at all listed in canon it's not like there's not a scene where we like see Cell go to the bathroom and be like i wonder if i bulked up today because he is listed multiple times as being like a pretty muscular ripped dude and i i just don't buy it um my other favorite part about what we found is on william's page he has multiple aliases listed they are nick selwyn victoria and Bree. And his relatives are mother and papa.
1: <laughs> um, one of my favorites is on Tor's page. Her nicknames are listed as Tor, bitch, and asshole. <laughs> and there's no commas, by the way.
0: It's like it's just one phrase, Tor bitch, and asshole. Uh-huh. Her,
1: her well-known <laughs> nickname, Tor bitch and asshole. We just can't.
0: We're not really sure, like, how some of this information got on there, because as far as I know, there's really not a lot of, like, information out there outside of canon from the actual novel. And some of this information is not in the novel. For example, the Merlins page says that all Merlins are bisexual. The only evidence of this is that Cell might be bisexual, but we don't really know any other Merlins.
1: I like to think that this entire wiki, like one person has been editing it and adding to it. And like, it takes a while because they're only one person and the book's, you know, fairly new. It's only, you know, it's under a year old. And so they're just doing this in their free time. And they got to the Merlins and they're like, well, Cell seems like he's probably bisexual and he's the Merlin that we know. And so to extrapolate, all Merlins are bisexual just like a really bad understanding of data analysis (laughs) right
0: and it also just is like a tiny bit icky because part of the the thing is merlin's are um part demon so william explains it to brie pretty early on in the novel that um merlin's are part demon merlin's mother was you know able to seduce a human into having a child with her and because of the way demon blood genetics work the demon half is completely dominant so all merlins are the same amount of demon regardless of generation but the like extra lustfulness has been sort of subdued over all these generations and so it's just like Oh yes, the lustful character is the bisexual character. They always are. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a little mm-mm, we know we're not here for that.
1: No, for sure not.
0: we got very lost on this this fandom.com and it really derailed us earlier because we were just like
1: Yeah, this wiki is a gift. It's full of it's full of fun fun things that I I highly recommend you just poke around in it because um, you never know what gems you're going to find
0: there is so much to sort of get into with the sort of like uh, technical aspects of this fantasy novel and then you are on the fandom.com <laughs> page and the practitioner Dr. Patricia Hartwood's nickname is Dr. Cool Witch <laughs> what um, her species is human may have fairy blood <laughs> and there is no no narrative information at all um, I believe it I anyway she can be a fair if she wants I think that would be very fun but I don't I don't think we're leading towards that because she has her root craft is, is more towards memories not wild craft or anything like that like they said Bree's mother was
1: mm-hmm.
0: so It's fine. I just, I don't know where to go from here.
1: Anyway, highly recommend you poking around the wiki. It's a good time.
0: I mean, if you're not already poking around on it as we're still talking about it, what are you doing?
1: It's true. Do not relate to you if you don't immediately look up the things that you hear people talking about.
0: If you're driving, I guess that's okay. Please continue driving. Do not text and drive. Be safe. (laughs) Retweet. I listen to podcasts a lot while driving and so I think sometimes I do do that I'm like oh man I should look this up or like I should do the thing that they're talking about but by the time I arrive at my destination uh it's it's too late yeah it has left my brain this was cheese that is my brain often
1: yep it's gone it's I I got a new email app for work it's a long story but I needed like a a specific client so that I could get a fancy signature and the notification noises are like still very new and so I get I'm startled every time a new notification noise happens, but the one for sending an email is a very satisfying whoosh, and that is what I imagine is happening in our brains when we're like, we should look that up but we're still driving, and then we get to the place, and brain goes whoosh. Yes.
0: Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about specifically related to Legendborn? I mean, I feel like I could go on all day. I mean, I do want to Go to a fun ball, but there's more interesting things to talk about <laughs> than <laughs> Bree getting dressed up. <laughs>
1: I'm always down for a fun ball and for good dress ups. Um, but no, I uh, feel like we touched on the things that I was most excited to talk about. I mean, more is going to come to mind, and I'll probably be texting you about Legendborn like within a half hour with things that we forgot to talk about. But
0: as as one does, <laughs> as um, is tradition. Yes. <laughs> Because I think, yeah, I, I've lost, I feel like I had one or two more tangents that I went on that weren't in the notes, but I don't remember what they were.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That were like very specific. The
1: perils too. of of technical difficulties. Some of those things are just lost yes. forever. Sorry to our listeners.
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: Uh, I'm
0: So there's not a lot of information on the second book, though it is it has been said that there will be a follow-up i'm very excited to see where we go from here because as we left it like nick is kidnapped i guess like lancelot's gone um and brie has a lot going on she's discovering her blood craft and that she can be uh possessed and her ancestors do come help her out help her out a lot and um occasionally give her a hard time mm-hmm. for things and it'll be interesting to see how much more we explore that side of of brie because i felt like in the first book we got a lot of the order and i'm wondering how much of her her root craft history is going to come into play in future books
1: yeah and the like particular differences between like root craft and wild craft and just how those all play against each other i'm really interested to learn about
0: Yes, and I think it will be also interesting to see how all of the continued um, pieces of this puzzle that come together are, because it does, this book, like, upon a second reading, I feel like I picked up a lot more on all these little pieces that I think are going to come into play into a bigger picture, Mm -hmm. and that is exciting, and I'm ready for it, and we're going to have to wait as one to us for a book all my life
1: literally constantly it's what's it like to not have to wait for the next book in a series you like i do not know i
0: don't don't know we'll never know because i think we will be waiting for doors of stone until we
1: die oh yeah we're we're for sure at least not getting like winds of winter
0: can you imagine yeah
1: (sighs) all right well i can't imagine
0: anything any wrap-up thoughts bailey no, just that I think you should go read this book as um, just a great YA fantasy. It will hopefully do t- for you what it did for me and sort of reignite your love for this genre. And I can't wait to see what more Tracy comes out with and what else we can read from her in the future. And uh, I think those are my closing thoughts. All right, cool.
1: Um, Well... We'll see in a couple weeks. Please go support some black owned businesses this weekend. And in the meantime, we are right. And we should say it. Pour yourself a glass of wine.
0: Let's start reading in between the lines. Never know what we might find. Yeah, it could be magic. Oh,
1: Pro Tinted Glasses is hosted by Bailey Utrecht and me, Katie Phillips. Our logo is by Baby Truth Collection, and our theme song is by the very talented Anna Voss. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the pod. It's really going to help us grow. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.